Hey everybody, this is Filiberto, the editor of Workday Minnesota. Along with the relaunch of the website, we're now going to do a series of podcasts. This is the first episode of a series of podcasts around sex work in response specifically to a change in the adult entertainment ordinance currently being debated and put together uh, with the Minneapolis City Council. So in this episode, we chat with um, members of the Sex Worker Organizing Project and the Feminist Strip Club as they respond to the first hearing around the adult entertainment ordinance. I hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe and have a listen and share with your friends if you enjoy it, if you like it. All right. Have a good day. Bye. All right, so if you can just go around and say names and pronouns, that'd be wonderful. Uh, I'm Andy Snow, I use she, her. Uh, my name is Haley Page, and I use she, her. My name is Colleen King, I use she, her. I'm Monica Sheets, I use she, her. Ramona Falls, she, her. What, are, what were your thoughts? What were your first impressions? And remember to use your name before you make statements. <laughs> this is Andy speaking, and I mean, I'm just like so filled with joy. I couldn't believe how amazing the turnout was, and like, it's been said a lot of times already, but looking through that like packed like city hall chambers and seeing everyone holding the signs that say Minneapolis supports strippers was like heartwarming in its own right, but then also for me like, having like come out as like a stripper and a sex worker like maybe three years ago to see like my family and my friends all there too was like pretty emotional. <laughs> what, what did that support feel like to you? Like did you expect that? Was that a surprise? Um, it wasn't a surprise because I told everyone if they loved me they had to be there. <laughs> but I was very happy that they did. <laughs> yeah. What were other first impressions? I was really, really nervous about the entire event. This is Haley. Uh, I was super nervous about the event. Um, just like showing up, I was terrified that like I was gonna show up and it was gonna be like 12 people. And thank God it wasn't. When I showed up, there were so many people that they were like, actually we're at capacity right now, so you'll have to wait in the hallway. Oh. And so the, and the, the hallway was full of people. There had to be at least like 30 people standing in the hallway. And oh, it so was- cool, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Because I, I spent 20 minutes looking for parking because it's downtown Minneapolis. And so I like ran in like five minutes late thinking that I was like late to the whole shebang. Me running around in my big like stripper heels through Minneapolis. Jeff gave me a piggyback ride. Oh, yeah, yeah. In your own words. It was so amazing. I dressed up in just a, a work outfit. Um, it's not the first time uh, that I've worn like a work outfit. I wore like a little red candy striper uh, bodysuit. Um, that kind of had a deep V in the front, showed off my awesome tattoo on my chest. And uh, then I wore my, my eight inch high heels with like a lot of rhinestones on them, their pleasers. And yeah, just kind of rock that to, to there. Uh, it's not the first time that I've worn like stripper clothes in public. Uh, I did a performance art piece actually while I was still a student at MCAD where I wore a, a, you know my clothes to a day of, at school I was just like really sick of hearing people say I could never see you as a stripper mm. so I was like see me as a stripper look yeah look here I am and when I the decision was kind of like I basically just thought if the people at City Hall can't take me seriously when I'm like dressed in my work uniform they're not going to take me seriously when I'm like you know, trying to wear a suit to make it like, you know, make that impression. So to appeal their responsibility. Ex exactly. You know, like I, my job shouldn't be like censored. You know, and I think a lot of our job 
and the moral hang-ups on it are it's like censorship issues and people thinking that like strip clubs are inappropriate or that sex work is inappropriate or that sex in general is you know not something we should talk about and speak about freely in the community it was a bold look and it was a bold testimony to it it made so many people really excited in the in the good way <laughs> in the well, right way a superhero. did yeah. Yeah. a stripper superhero yeah. Oh. <laughs> no yeah I just I needed I kind of decided last minute to talk mostly I just want I just wanted to make a statement about the fact that we are people that have to work um, with a corporation that makes millions and millions and millions of dollars and that's why I don't really think that it's okay for us to be tipping out people that they should be paying like you know everyone deserves a livable wage everyone deserves to make money I want my managers and my wait staff and you know DJ and everybody at the club to prosper along with me but I don't want to be responsible for making sure that I make enough money so that everyone prospers because I need to make enough money so that I can prosper you know yeah, to your point, it's like the responsibility should be on these corporations that have millions of dollars to support their staff, not on mm-hmm. the workers to support the staff in that way. Well, and we'll, we'll talk a little more about what that structure looks like, but if we just finish going around, if one of you want to go? Just your first impressions about Monday. Sure. Um, this is Ramona. Um, I'm probably just going to echo what was said by each of you and that I was both very, very, very excited and floored by all of the people that showed up and absolutely floored by the testimonies. Um, And I was also very, very anxious. Um, I've been organizing with SWAP for, I don't know, four years probably. Um, And, you know, as in our statement we are made up of allies and workers and former workers um and this was really my um i'm out to like a lot of my friends and um a lot of people but there's a lot of spaces that i'm not out in um and it was very nerve-wracking to stand up on on a podium in front of city council um and just say before a live stream and a video that's going to be posted somewhere forever that um, that I'm a former dancer. Nobody watches the video, just for oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I mean, it was a reality check for me, too. I mean, this is real work. This is legal work, and it should be supported as such. So it was also, and like, just like as a white person, I was like, there's not probably a ton of consequences for me about being out. You know, if anything, maybe someone will look at it and say like, oh, what a quirky thing that she did for X, Y number of years. Um, But I mean, it's been my livelihood. In reality, it's been my livelihood for the past five years and it's a huge part of my identity and my community. But so yeah, very, very excited, but very nervous. Uh, This is Colleen. Um, I was basically too tweaked the whole time to really uh, take a lot of it in. Um, I had had recently been fired um, from a different club um, than I work at now uh, for discussing my labor or like working conditions um, with other dancers who I like um, thought I could trust um, but that really just like pulled the rug out from under me and I um, have been like really afraid to um, try to organize or like feel like I can't trust anyone 
Um, so I showed up in like a wig and sunglasses and I wasn't gonna testify because um, I really didn't want to be under scrutiny. Um, but I started to get really um, upset um, when one after the other clearly um, sent there by management um, who were just um, clearly like all plants and speaking against the ordinance and um, specifically testifying about a club that I knew was um, behaving differently than they were testifying to and so I felt like I should say something and um, immediately like left and threw up so I don't I don't actually even finish watching the testimony or the hearing and don't know what happened after <laughs> but I, I heard it was good so yeah it's long yeah and yeah. also like really beautiful in yeah. a lot of ways yeah this is Monica I mean I wanted to say because I got there early and was waiting in the hall to come in um, and there weren't a ton of people at first, and then right when we were all walking in, this group from Downtown Cabaret came walking up with a manager, um, and they seemed very sure of themselves at that moment. Um, and when you're when you're testifying, also like all those people are behind you. But the really great thing was that you know we all came in, we sat down, um, and then yeah, like. 20 people walk in all wearing red all holding the Minneapolis support stripper signs and I think like at that point it was like you know it I mean I was still nervous when I got up to testify it still felt very nerve-wracking but it also you know it changed the energy in the room a lot because it's like you knew okay yeah you know we are in the majority here like you know we're you know it's clear like more people are supporting this than are going to be speaking against it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was a, a, a really critical part of the, the hearing as well, was even just the optics of it. Yeah, and I cover a lot of different things that happen in City Hall or other places, and it was really impressive, like the overwhelming support that y'all had organized and had. And I think one of the things that I come away with, having seen very, very big victories and a lot of failures and all sorts of things happening uh, within work organizations is, how much you've, how much you all have accomplished making change without a lot of like the, the big money support or organizational support or infrastructure that a lot of organizations have that haven't even gotten to the point where you all are. So though, I mean, the, everything has been really impressive, and it's. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from everything you all have accomplished or are about to accomplish, right? We're still waiting for the city council. Next oh, week. no, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be shocking if it didn't go through. It would be absolutely really shocking. Well, and, I just, and there was no, wasn't much opposition. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's, like, I don't know, maybe it's just, uh, maybe I'm just a little, like, naive, but personally, I don't, I don't see how we, like, could have failed, um, per se, because just the people I work with in this industry, you know, like, Sure, this is not a job that everybody really has a choice to get started in, but it is a job where if you are really motivated, you can really, like, improve yourself and, like, you know, get yourself out of a tight situation and build up your life. And just one thing that's true about every person I've ever met in this industry is that they are motivated and that they are very driven. And, like, sex workers have such a big history of being part of, like, revolutions that... You know, we've always been at the foregrounds of it. it. There's always, like, a sex worker involved in something. And like I said, it's a super accessible job. 
So that's why we're super diverse. So we have a lot of like people that come from different backgrounds and we do meet a lot of different types of people at work. So I think like, I don't know, working at the strip club kind of makes you a little worldly just because you you meet so many people and it's your job to just sit around and talk to people. Oh, we meet like really wealthy men all the time and one of my favorite things to do is ask them how they got to be where they are and all of them say the same thing. It's like taking advantage of opportunities when they come and I think you're absolutely right. We're so adaptable and we know about so many different things. It's really easy for us to sort of like conceive of things in a different way. I think it's an interesting merger. You, We have like, you know, women who are uh, like, they have, you know, they need financial stability. They need money. They need a, a lot of it and probably not like not a lot of time to make that money. And so you have these women that are in a financial tight spot. And then you, the people that we hang out with all day are like millionaires. You know, <laughs> I have regulars that have so much money. It's like mind boggling how much money they have. And we have this like like opportunity to learn so much like my regulars and i we talk about stocks like we like we talk about like yeah we yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) why would i not take the stock tips of somebody that is like you know grown their account 400 percent you know like we just have such a gold mine and so much opportunity and that's why we are so driven because we like know that and we work towards it you know and like I have to say too, it has, a lot of like the success has to do with like really laying out super careful groundwork and like doing the work behind the scenes like for a long time before presenting it the way that we did because we were armed with all of the data and all the information that we did from our study. We did the real stripper report and we like did a needs assessment survey of um, the working conditions in all the clubs in Minneapolis. We talked to someone from every club; they were all represented. And we had this really full picture of what was going on, like. This isn't just an attack on the corporate clubs. All the clubs have things that they need to improve, and everyone in the city needs to treat dancers better. And we like came to this as a community, representing all of us as a whole. And we built like really important coalitions with people who we would have in the past thought would have opposed us. And there wasn't a strong opposition to what we were doing. And the opposition that did show up, quite honestly, was like, people who are going to be directly affected by um, equality. Like, what what did you say, Monica, about that? Like, um, Oh, that, uh, the saying about how when you've had privilege, that equity feels like an attack, Mm. you know, that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, that essentially it's like, yeah, the managers feel like they're being attacked with this idea that, oh, I'm not going to be able to get tipped out anymore. And it's like, well, you know, Actually, no, that's actually a move towards equity for everybody, that dancers are not going to be tipping out to managers. But I was trying to say, too, is like that the dancers who had a problem with this are the dancers who benefit from the white privilege and the structure, like the unfair structure. They are the ones who are getting the privilege and the benefit of it. So they're very scared to lose that. And what I was saying to someone else after the meeting is like, this is white supremacy circling to protect itself. And in this particular instance, they didn't have a lot of time to circle their wagons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was real obvious because it was not uh, organized, it was not uh, intentional, they didn't have a point to make. It was completely ineffective. Well, like not, and not everybody that even spoke in opposition of the the bill was was white necessarily. It's just that, um, you know, like, 
having you can you can kind of tell just like the mindset and maybe there is some rhetoric that might have been like repeated to some people that spoke you know like when when we talked about you know, when when someone stood up and spoke about the idea of like having the clubs cleaned, there was a statement about, well, maybe the girls should chip in so that the club can yeah. afford to get cleaned. And it's like, what? That that doesn't. The the cashiers at Walmart are not told that they need to give away part of their earnings because Walmart needs to get cleaned. The Walmart is just cleaned because the corporation provides somebody to clean it. Like, and I thought that was insane because, like, we actually do have a janitor uh, at our club, and you know, there's just one as far as I know. I, I know we also have a fully functioning kitchen, and obviously they have to clean clean that. Like that, it, they wouldn't be allowed to serve food if they didn't. So if they can have somebody clean the kitchen. Why can't they have someone clean the stage and like make sure that the locker room is, you know, like dancers, if they take food to the locker room, no, they should not have to bring their dishes back down, especially if you like have bins up there for us to put them in. Then somebody should come grab the bin. And I, I used to be a dishwasher, like, you know, that's just what you do. Right. They're like these basic things that are supposed to happen for a functioning business that just don't happen for us. Oh. Well, it's, it's also just hard to hear people like almost believe that they're management and it's like no mm -hmm. you're still a worker right. like you're not protected you're going to be fired whenever they want to get rid of you like there's no protections for you but you've bought into this idea that you're close to management therefore you're protected in some way yeah uh, this is Ramona um, I might add that I mean it was definitely nerve-wracking kind of as Monica was saying to realize that we were that there was opposition there and that we were that we were going to be met by opposition and that it wasn't coming from you know some organization that doesn't want strip clubs in Minneapolis it was coming from like people that I've worked with for years yeah. um, when I initially when I initially saw that big wall of DTC girls I got a big grin on my face because I've worked at you know pretty much every club in Minneapolis and I know these dancers who've also been working for years and so it was like smiling and like a familiar face and then I kind of my stomach dropped and I realized they're not here um in Me solidarity um conversation yeah and it, it it was people that I yeah so that was that was hard um but I would also say that um I felt like all of the testimonies, regardless if they were for or stating that they were against the ordinance, they kind of all spoke to the same thing. And they really spoke to the research that we found. Um, and that was that, yeah, we our research was collected from a lot of people who worked at DTC. And for a lot of for a lot of reasons there was a lot of like positive things that we found so you know people came forward and they talked about a lot of positive things but there were also these these inequalities and these inequities that were also talked about in the survey and then they were also really plainly displayed for everybody and of course like you know privilege is very complex and it's an intersection of many things of course race big one um, but also like thinness what kind of body type people have like how much someone is able to conform to like eurocentric beauty standards um age like just how femme yeah right. yep how femme i mean 
all kinds of things, class and the, like the subtleties that um, subtle things about the way that you signal class. I mean, just right. edu- mm-hmm. education, okay, so many things. Whatever. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, the testimony, it, it was, it really kind of spoke to all of that to have people that were giving these testimonies that were like, well, if you don't like it, you should just go somewhere else. Um, and that really spoke to, uh, one person mentioned, I would just go back to my corporate job if I didn't like this. And it was like, okay. So, you know, that really spoke to that person's experiences. Um, and because not everybody has that corporate job to go back to. That's the, that's the idea of saying, well, if this is just a choice for me to be here and it must be a choice for everybody else and that's like I think the baseline of the problem is that just pull yourself up by your bootstraps by your by your pleasers <laughs> what you can't afford your pleasers well maybe you should work somewhere else maybe like you should work harder yeah like well yeah I mean and if for those of you that are making more money in the clubs can you conceive of another job that brings you in that sort of revenue like, I, right. you know, it's unlikely. No. Right. No, no. Not even close. Like, last night I made over $500 in a night. And that's, I've never worked. Like, maybe the only other job that I think I could possibly make anywhere near as much money or possibly more money would literally be a day trader. Right. <laughs> that and that you need to have, you know, they don't let you be, they don't let you even be a pattern day trader unless you have 30 grand in your account exactly and most people don't have 30 grand lying around that they can just throw into the stock market and play with you you know stocks since you were 16 because your parents also did that exactly exactly like the only reason i know anything about it is because of the strip club i didn't i didn't know what a day trader was before i started working there i like i kind of knew what stocks were but i didn't meet any or know like i didn't even know that like forex was a thing before i started working at the strip club like i didn't know that people bet on capital mm-hmm. <laughs> like billionaires just playing with money that explains me later i don't know what that is <laughs> oh, it's, it's people <laughs> trading currencies oh okay because right. that's the thing rich people do right. like exactly like you that's the thing is that you don't have this access until you've no. been in a position where you can be around these people and that's why the strip club is so amazing because it's accessible and it gives you so much opportunity and that's why i want it to work better mm. Hey, it was really interesting too with the crowd of girls like you said they're familiar faces people we've known for a really long time and they were all so holding the Minneapolis support stripper signs mm. and some of them had been to like a couple of our meetings and we had really cool like conversations with them or like even maybe difficult conversations but it felt like it was getting somewhere and it was a big surprise to see them come and voice this opposition and some of them seemed like they had even been influenced by somebody or flipped and it was very interesting after all was said and done the house mom came to talk to me and invited me to come and talk to everyone at DTC and I was very much like a lot of your concerns are concerns we had as well and things that we fought for and if we can all like talk about this more and get on the same page I feel like we can like bridge that gap a whole lot but it was funny when she invited me to come and speak with everyone uh, when she went to put her phone number, my phone number and her phone, my name popped up. <laughs> so I was like, it's this very interesting thing where it's like, we are a community. We are, like you were saying before, a very diverse community. We represent all types of people. And so there's going to be like misunderstanding and like conversations that need to be had. But ultimately, I, 
I do think that they will that they will support or do support on some level because even after like the initial raids of the strip clubs happened, like a lot of people said like, oh yeah, it was great. The clubs like actually cleaned stuff for once, or like they like really like improved things. So it's a little bit of accountability changes things. Yeah, and I mean I think when things come into effect and start to affect your life and your day to day things in a positive way, it'll be viewed differently. Well, I mean, the message I get from you all, too, is that, like, if if folks are doing well and doing well in this industry, you just want to make sure everyone is getting closer to that possibility. Right. Well, that's, right. and like, the, the thing is, sorry, this is Ramona again. The thing is, is it's just not, I the thing, like Andy was saying, the things that we're asking for are so basic. And they were also holding the Minneapolis support si- um, strippers sign. My partner was in the audience and said so many things that you were saying and that others were saying, they were nodding their heads. We're, 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 we have a common goal. And for the most part, I do feel like a lot of things that they were saying were in, agree- in agreement. They were saying, our club is so awesome and our club does have you know this and that. And it's like, that's great. We want all the clubs to, to be like that. And I cannot imagine a person, especially a dancer, who would say, oh, well, no, they the other clubs don't deserve that. They even said, they said we should hold those, those clubs should be looked at individually. And what I heard was those clubs need to raise their standards to ours. Right. But obviously there's like then another gap. There is some like disagreement about how we get there specifically with the tipping. But everything else, I think everyone was in agreement. We want a healthy, safe, clean work environment to work in. Yeah, I think there's a. I think there's a big like. I think DTC in particular, you know, I've worked there for four years. It's kind of been the only club that I've like worked at. I've auditioned at other places, and quite frankly, I do think that like. You know, they're the nicest managers that I've experienced in Minneapolis. Like, they've always been... I disagree. But that's the thing is that it's so it's so like on an individual basis that everybody has such a different experience. So it makes sense that like, you know, we're all going to have different opinions on like things like, you know, I feel like for the most part, I can talk to my my managers, you know, and like speak to them and felt like I'm being heard. But they're just like issues, um, you know, like. DTC, I think, kind of feels like they are doing a little bit better than other clubs. And I think a lot of that is because I would say that DTC is the most diverse club as far as the range of dancers goes. We do not discriminate as far as hiring goes. Uh, We have big girls. We have small girls. We have girls with no boobs. We have girls with giant boobs, fake boobs. Like, we have everybody, you know. And, like, I've I've heard it from so many guys. And, you know, like, even, like, I'm, I'm preparing to shoot a film next month, and I brought my cast and crew in like everyone who's playing a dancer, I brought them into DTC to kind of see what it was like. Mm. And I had actresses that like, you know, were a little bit heavier that were like, I had cast as dancers and before they showed up, they were like, I was really nervous that I like wasn't gonna look like any of the girls at the club, but I actually do. And I'm like, yeah, it's because, you know, people don't find one thing attractive. And so DTC tries to like get as many types of girls as possible because, you know, we want to have something for everyone. And so, like, DTC is good on some things, but to say that the club is without, like, doesn't need any critiques and, like, you know, other clubs should be looked at, but not our club, because our club doesn't have any problems. That's not, 
that's not realistic. That was the line, right? A club it's by also, club basis. That's also not how ordinances work. Right. So, that's not how policy works. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that's, right. I mean, there needs to be, like, they will look at clubs on a club by club basis. There just needs to be a standard in place right. for the clubs to be compared Rated to. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think the thing that, of course, did not come up at the hearing. Um, but uh, one of the dancers who's testified who had been to the swap meetings, you know, she's not afraid, you know, she's, she's afraid of her earnings being impacted because what she said at the meeting was that, yeah, if we're not tipping out management anymore, they're going to raise the house fee right. or they're going to charge more as a percentage legitimate of the VIPs. That's happened. I mean, those concerns. are totally legitimate mm-hmm. concerns. But I also think that this is a thing where it's like, that's where the community matters because it's mm-hmm. like if they raise everybody's house fee, there's a limit to how high they're going to raise that because people will just be like, well, I'm not going to work here anymore. You right, know? and that's also the company, the club's individual response. And and that was kind of something that was mind-boggling for me is, yeah, if they raise all the house fees, that's something that your managers and, and the clubs, that's something that they decided to do. And it's like... Um, Oh, but just that the clubs, it's its its disheartening to hear and to see. It's not disheartening. Um, I do think, so I have worked at DTC and I've worked at other clubs, and there they are, there is this like environment of camaraderie and the, there are a lot of people, not everybody, that managers will be very, very nice to or will help out a lot and like really give you this kind of team mindset. Um, And it's, and when I, because I've experienced both sides of it and it's like, oh, this is amazing. I really do feel like my safety is, you know, a huge concern for them. And I know that they have my back and they're trying to make me money. And I've like felt very much that um, at DTC, sometimes and at other places sometimes but it it turns it's very conditional and i have been on the other side of it at all clubs sometimes seemingly for no reason i'm like what did i do i tipped out the same amount that i always tip out why is this happening why is someone suddenly telling me that you know the way i'm giving a dance isn't in the ordinance or something or um, i haven't been fired like that but i've definitely heard of other people you know being fired unfairly and that's the thing is it's it's a little bit sad for me to hear people fighting so hard and being like they have our backs when I mean I felt like there are so many examples on how that is conditional that's because you're paying them and if you stop like they're not gonna they're not gonna have your back anymore I know that there was one private testimony and I won't mention names um, but there was a dancer who had worked at a particular club for a very long time and she was fired for a very they didn't think that she tipped enough. And it, they were very, um, it was really awful. They made a big display of it and it was very humiliating. And that was such a lesson for her. I mean, she was like, I thought we were family, but it's it's conditional. It's like well, you said, it's every day. It's what did you tip out the last time I saw you? What did you tip me today? It doesn't carry forward. You're, like you were saying, like just because a manager might like you, that is no job security. That doesn't guarantee anything well, it's for coercive you. Coercive and abusive. Right? Absolutely. Well, and that's what they depend on. 
is to always have you on your toes. Mm. Always being like, what did I do? What, wait, what did I tip out this time? How many customers, you know, did I get to go to VIP? Did I upsell the champagne? It's keeping you on your toes, making you feel like I, my job could always be replaced. There's always someone else who could do it. And yeah, disposable. That's an abuse and in competition with each other. Mm. Mm, so for benefit of context, because certainly one of the one of the parts of the reporting that was most surprising to people is just the pay structure. And we're talking about tipping, so can you all just kind of break down how that works? I think like whenever you start talking about we, use names again. Oh, oh sorry, yeah, this is Andy. I think that whenever we start talking about stripper math, we all sound insane. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's yeah. just start there. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways why I think people are compelled to like hearing these stories, and the, but the biggest thing that's like, what is the tipping? So how does the tipping work? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So the tipping works in that we pay a bunch of fees. We pay a house fee. Um, there could be other little things that come along the way, little surprises, what you might owe. Yeah, like, like what? Um, really break it down for us. Yeah, okay. So you'll have a stage fee, and that can be anywhere from like 20 bucks to 100 bucks or more, or like, way so more. Right when you walk in the door. Right when you walk in the yeah, door. That's some, your house fee. That's your house fee. Some places. That's part of your house fee. That is your house fee. Oh, that is your house yep. fee. And some places actually require you to pay your house fee before you begin your shift at work. So before you start working, you may have to hand over upwards of $100. So you're already in the negative. Already in the yes, negative when you walk you in the door. That's how you start. There is <laughs> like, at D, like one thing that DTC really prides the itself on. Starts too. Well, Absolutely. the way that they, since we are independent contractors, they they basically treat it like you know a massage therapist or a, somebody cutting hair. You buy your chair. You know, you rent out your chair, and that you then make money to cover you know the space that you took up in their salon. And so I do understand the idea of a house fee, and DTC has kind of a weird one, because our house fee, if you get there at the beginning of the night, is seventeen dollars. So they pride themselves on having the lowest starting house fee in the That's Atlas. at like 6 p.m. That's at 6 p.m. So if you can get there before 7 p.m., um, then your house fee will be roughly $17. Or if you made a very large bottle sale, uh, the the like 30% of what that bottle, or no, it's 10% of what that bottle sale was, if it's over $500, can get applied to your to your house fee. Are you, is this consistent for most clubs, like the upselling on, a, on a alcohol? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. They are so big on the whole champagne room, bottle sales. They push liquor so hard. I sold they, a $1,500 bottle last night in a, in a champagne suite with a with another another server. Well, the server did most of it. She, I, I let the server pick the bottle most of the time. <laughs> $1,500 for a single bottle. Wow. And that was after that paying, like, you know, upwards of a grand for the room. So yeah. like just, just to be in the room. Just to be in the room, and mm -hmm. you know, like we, we obviously at DTC, we actually get a, a pretty good cut on the room prices. Like you know, to be blunt, you know, if somebody buys a a normal hour without a bottle of champagne, it'll run them about five hundred dollars, and we get four hundred of that. You know, which is not the way it works at every club. And which doesn't. I also want to. Make clear to folks that's something that happens every day either. No, right. no. I mean, let's, like, let's, it's it's a sales job, so you know, like, it's you know, sometimes, like last night, that we were doing rooms all night. There were a crazy amount of rooms. The last time that I worked, though, there was maybe less than five rooms the entire night. You know, just as a, just in the entire club. So it's really like 
hit or miss. You know, sometimes you have a lot of high paying customers in or, you know, we always tell each other it only takes one. It only takes one to have a good night. You just need to find sure. the guy that is going to take you to so a room. So like scanning yeah. folks and. Oh, exactly. Yeah. exactly. exactly. That's, that's the, that's how the job works. Sure. You know, you can come into a strip club and so have I walk taken, in, you're like, like, he's not going to have a lot of money. <laughs> well, you know, you it, never know. Yeah. You have, you have to ask. <laughs> that's you the thing never they, know how people, by piece of people, you look, you always have to ask. Well, because, you know, sometimes the guy with the Rolex is in, you know. It's super cheap. He's super cheap. <laughs> or he's in, like, a ton of debt. Yep. And so, like, he's, like, just here. Just sad. Just you, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be sad at all. It's just, like, just, you know. He's dealing with those, uh, those complications. Yeah. Like, well, you just never know, you know. Like, sometimes you walk up to a guy and... You know, you might think mm, this guy probably doesn't have any money, and then turns out he does have a lot of money because he only buys like his clothes from Walmart. <laughs> or you have guys that think they have a lot of money. Those are kind of the guys you want, the guys who think that they have a lot of money. Because they're willing to just let that. Yeah, I've had guys who make sixty grand a year tell me that they could take care of me for the rest of my life. <laughs> but so fees and tipping. Okay, so fees. Then you hit on an interesting thing there. So like when you get a VIP dance or a, like a room issue saying um, there will be a certain price that the customer pays for that and the club will collect it and then give you back to you what is yours they take some of that and that was what I was saying about certain like different fees that will be collected and then even at like um, at Dream Girls and Deja Vu, they even take a cut out of the regular lap dances. Out of the $20 lap dances, they mm. take $7. And they do the math. So when we're talking about favoritism and inequalities, we're talking about literal money out of one person's pocket and into somebody else's. Because it's on management to do the math of all of this. So what we get is based on what they feel like we should get oh. and based on their rules. So that's where the variability comes from. That's right. Like and there like, are clubs where girls get less than 50% of, you know, like their room. Like I've heard of guys paying $200 for a room and a girl gets 50. And at that point, the girl is like, why would I even sell the room? Right. When there's if less I'm, money. Yeah. And if there's less sales, then they're going to try to take more. I exactly. Assume. Exactly. Yep. And, and they do it as punishment sometimes and as punishment and reward sometimes. Like, um, at, for example, at Dream Girls, like I was saying, the, so the manager keeps track and he like has a lot of favorites with people. That's right. So he so will. People, people are eating crackers. That's why there's a little cracking. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. And I told you. I'll be honest. It's okay. But yeah, it's cool. It's, it's like interesting. So like, um, it's happened to me many times there. Well, they will take, let's just say three, for example, but take minus three dances off of a girl that they likes tab and put it onto mine. Straight up. Straight up. It happens to happen to me many times. And then, yeah, and then your cash out, your receipt gets printed at the end of the night. And it, they work, they operate a little dif- differently at those clubs. You actually collect the cash and then you owe a cash out based on the receipt they give you at the end of the night. And yeah, when you get your cash out slip, it'll be a third to a half of what you made. And sometimes it'll be even more because of something like a punishment that was like put down upon you. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting is like in the conversations around the restaurant industry and 15 and white theft and all this stuff, the part of the relationship in a restaurant as a server is that wasn't talked about was like if the if the manager doesn't like you they'll just tell you to go home or they'll give you they'll give you an area where the tables they consistently don't get the best tips right like there's ways that like management just makes things a little harder for you mm-hmm. and lets you know that you need to be performing differently or just like straight up like cutting your hours that happens right. at every right. job oh, yeah. everyone yeah. I know whenever they, they piss off their boss they're like my hours got cut this week you it's know completely arbitrary. and they know what they're doing it's very intentional 
So after, oh God. I'll just say like a good anecdote. When I was, there was a host who at the last club I worked at was mad at me basically. And I would go to the VIP and he would, all the rooms were empty and he would say, all the rooms are full. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I would like argue with him because it was like very unclear to me that I was being hazed because it was like so ridiculous. Um, And then like eventually I got to the point of like convincing him that I like want like deserve a room and he told me that the cost was going to be $2,000 for like half an hour room which is like like he can just make it up. He can charge like charge whatever he wants and take however much he wants of the of the fee because um, we're not in control of that. And obviously I still would have only gotten the 200 or whatever. That's insane. That's like literally insane. I don't know, at DTC, um, uh, I've heard from somebody that technically in our contract we're not supposed to charge more for any of the services provided, but our managers are pretty good. If you you have a customer that's willing to pay $1,500 for you, in the in the room for how for an hour they they will like let you make that 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 decision i mean like exactly exactly you know they'll they'll let you get a big chunk of it and still only take like their room fee or you know the bottle like in the champagne suite there's no room fee the girl gets the full 500 and then the club just you know they put a 400 hundred dollar bottle on the minimum on the bottle so they're gonna make at least as much money as they pay like as the bottle was sold for, you know? And obviously they're like selling $90 champagne for $500, so. Even even in what y'all are describing, like it's not like y'all have a notepad to keep track of everything and like know how much you should be getting back at some point. But even if you did, there's no recourse to like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're not in charge of any of it, like you said. Like, and from my understanding, like at least because I have only been in this industry for four years, so I don't know what it what Minneapolis was really like from my own personal experience pre-recession. But from what I hear, it was wild. From what I would hear, average was a thousand dollars a night at DTC or Sheiks or whatever it was called back then, for like every girl. Like I've heard girls be like, "Oh yeah, I used to cry over seven hundred dollar nights." Yeah, you got to be leery of us old strippers talking about the good old days, though. <laughs> it's, it's, a little it's just yeah, it's just like how we remember it. <laughs> A little less jaded, probably pushed for dances harder. Yeah, I don't know. I've absolutely been told that credit card machines are down. Um, I've been told, and then I've had it the other way. I mean, I've had... In terms of of your payouts? um, In terms of trying to get a room and them saying like, oh, the credit card machine's not working and like making me wait around and like, you know, trying to get me to like give them monetary incentive to get the credit card machine to work again. Um, and then I've had it where I've had the other way where the club is closing and my customer wants to, you know, extend the time and they'll make a deal with me. I'm making quote marks. Um, and then I've absolutely at one particular club I've worked at, I had a lot of managers who would say, oh, well, you know, if my, my customer extends, they're like, well, I won't write this one down for you. Mm-hmm. And so basically they're having it where like, instead of the room fee, I'm still paying, but instead of paying it to the club like a bouncer wants like wants that tip wants for that me. tip for wants a tip for me and the room fee you know and i've had that happen a lot like you said it goes both ways like reward and discipline and that's that's what's hard about this is like we are contractors and it is sometimes the ways that these things 
play out, it's just hard to nail down. And so like maybe you didn't tip right, but they fire you for not keeping one foot on the floor during a dance. I have seen that happen a lot. It really just does depend on who likes you, which depends on who you're paying. Yeah. Well, and I think like it would be really awesome if we could somehow like we just need to look at the laws about what exactly you are allowed to do and not do in a strip club because the rules are so unclear. The laws are so unclear and also like very obscure. Like, you know, like she said, uh, you can't take one foot off like both feet off the floor during a dance or else that could like catch you a fine or a charge or something. I don't actually think that that's anywhere. It's not a law, yeah. yeah. I, you see, that's the thing is that like, it, like I remember I danced in Colorado uh, for like a night or two and I went on vacation and it totally is a law there, like mm. straight up like. Oh, so somebody may have had experience in another state and just assume that that happened. Well, and just like every, yeah, the, 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 the rules are so unclear. Like my club once, uh, I actually got DTC a fine uh, that I didn't even know was possible for me to like get them. Um, <laughs> I was giving a lap dance and I like, I touched my boobs against a customer's face during the lap dance because I have very large boobs and they kind of expect it, you know? <laughs> like, you're not really going to get a tip on the dance if you have really large boobs and you don't, like, you know, do what they're expecting. That's what everybody sees in the movies. And <laughs> apparently there were some inspectors in that night and the club, like, they asked the club for... Me and another girl both got fined. Um, she got fined because a female customer that was she was giving a dance to put her hands on the dancer's hips while she was dancing. And so these inspectors, like, went over to our managers and were like, hey, who are those two dancers? And they just gave them our dancer's name, like, which was cool that they didn't, you know, give them our, our real names. But then because they did that, the clubs got the fine instead of us personal dancers. Oh. And that was like, I didn't know my club could get a fine for me touching my boobs against somebody's face. And it would have been nice if somebody told me that not four years into the job, because that's the problem is that they don't, they don't tell you what's allowed. Like I was told when I started dancing that you need a dancer's license in Minnesota, but I've recently found out that that's not true at all. Like, so I don't know what, we don't know what the laws are. And it was, and so then it makes me wonder, this is Monica, it really makes me wonder, like, you know, the club is the one that's telling you that they got this fine mm -hmm. because this happened. And yeah. it really makes me wonder, did this even actually mm -hmm. happen? Yeah. You know, did you see like, the fine sheet? Is, like, this, yeah. is this something that they're, you know, is this a way that they're trying to exercise control? Because this is, I mean, this has always been a way I feel like that the clubs have exercised control is by, you know, I mean, and, and unfortunately the city is colluding in this, you know, by making, yeah, what are the, you know, what are the ordinances actually, what is actually allowed? Um, and what's the enforcement mechanism? And what's the enforcement mechanism? Yeah. You know, the, um, the clubs that I worked at, uh, we had to wear pantyhose under our uh, T-bars. Um, What's a T-bar? Uh, a thong. It's like a G-string, except it's wider in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just got a T-shape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. got it. Thank you. But, you know, and to this day, it's like, 
did we really need to wear pantyhose underneath right. them? Was that actually an ordinance? And then, like, and of course, and again, like some women didn't have to wear pantyhose, particularly for some reason, black women didn't weren't required to wear pantyhose, whereas white women were, and like, you know, all sorts of things where I'm just like, yeah, it would be really nice if I could just go look up the code and find where this is. Mm-hmm. But it's just really, I and mean, it's easier to do things like that now with the internet, but it's like, it's still, it's impossible to even in the Minneapolis code to find how things are actually regulated. What are all the different parts of the code that are regulating the businesses? Well, they're not really. Like the obscenity laws and the solicitation laws are so vague and open to interpretation that there isn't like um, enforcement or like regulatory, like there isn't any like clear language on it. And a lot of stuff is just made up by the clubs. And yes, we always have to wonder what they're saying that is just to their own advantage or is just a manipulation or whatever. And like, Historically, the city has like come in and give people given people fines for like obscenity contact stuff that um, yeah is not clearly illegal, and for like solicitation stuff that is also not like super clear. Um, I know of an instance of someone getting cited for solicitation for asking a customer to buy her a drink, hmm. which is a pretty loose interpretation of solicitation, <laughs> like to say the least. And like you wouldn't you wouldn't do that to some girl at a bar who just met a dude who was like, so you want to buy me a drink? Right. Oh, excuse me, I'm a cop. That's a, solici- a solicitation. Like, yeah. But I think I think it's really interesting and I think it's uh, to the point of like um, in your presentation at the Walker that you were making like this ordinance is a total turn for the city of Minneapolis to go from uh, regulating the sex industry in a way that is like trying to eradicate it and regulating in a way that is about to now like thinking about it as a labor rights issue and a human rights issue. Well, and I think what's what's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this too. Like, there's there's a um, there's a particularly interesting moment right now where we're talking about wage theft, misclassification, uh, trafficking, labor trafficking, at least, and a little different than the sex trafficking that people were talking about in the Super Bowl. And you all fit into those tensions in, in that moment really strongly, and you intersect all these different issues that advocacy organizations, unions, city council members, people are running campaigns based on these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the past, people have not wanted to associate with people working for sex workers' rights, and we've had a lot of like difficulties. <laughs> no, I'm saying like in ways yeah. that they didn't before. Like there are people, especially labor. Like there are people who are understanding us exactly in the context of what they're already fighting for, and as like. Feels new. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 It's certainly for my publication. It's certainly. I mean, I think that was for me actually. This is Monica, sorry. Uh, One of the most exciting things about the hearing was to hear both Andrea Jenkins Mm -hmm. and Philippe Cunningham not only like use the term sex worker Mm -hmm. and say it out loud, but also say it in a way where they're affirming that these are rights that are important, you know, and that need to be considered. Um, And, you know, I mean, like, even if it is to some extent a little bit of um, political grandstanding or whatever, that's still, I think, I mean, you're right, it is totally new, mm-hmm. but it's a good new. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? um, this is Ramona again. I mean, I've had the like great pleasure and the privilege of working on this project for the past two years and working pretty closely with Cam Gordon and, um, you know, Mr. Hoffman and 
other names of the city council and been really floored. We met with a city council member today, actually, um, and he was kind of saying sometimes people are righteously upset about something and they just kind of come in and they're just like yelling or whatever. And we were like, well, to be honest, that's what we felt like doing when we initially, what you know, many years ago when we initially met with you guys, there were all these health, you know, all these raids going on where people were coming in with UV lights and it was freaking out customers and it was freaking out girls and everyone was mad. City um, Pages was talking And City Pages was talking. Those are gross. The STDs. <laughs> City Pages was, yeah, as always. Stains of concern, I think. Stains of concern. Seven, yeah, like 16 out of 17 strip clubs found semen, like in giant letters. Anyway. Um, so, I mean, I was floored. We came into the meeting and we didn't have our guns ablazing, but we definitely were ready to yell. Um, and we were met with just, we were met with so much, um, just like this strong desire to say, to understand where we were coming from and to say, wow, we we had no idea. Well, of course we wanna work with the workers. Of course we wanna make sure that this doesn't impact their work. That is, that is a huge concern for us. And they actually postponed making any sort of movement with it so that we could get in. Um, UROC had come up with a study, um, but it was kind of hastily put together because um, they were trying to do it before. The- yeah, they were trying to do it before the Super Bowl. So there was a timeline, um, but the city happily obliged on pausing it so that we could have a more in-depth study that included, you know, higher numbers of dancers from different kinds of clubs. Um, so I mean, that really floored me just how open everyone's been and how much they have been wanting to listen to us and like take our research seriously and take strippers seriously. And I was absolutely floored at the hearing at. Yeah, the city council members saying sex work is real work, um, and just the support from the community as well, is is just amazing. I have this, you know, I already had had this kind of new perspective on Minneapolis from doing this work with Kim Gordon and Mr. Hoffman, but that really shifted things even more. Maybe maybe I'm just a little bit naive, but uh, Haley, uh, maybe I'm just a little naive about. Uh, you know, general things. I, I, I'm that person that like enters into, you know, corporate America and says, well, I think we should all just work together and make sure that everyone's getting paid and like everyone's important. And that, so I, I usually meet a lot of like, you know, pushback as people, you know, like, oh, you can't beat Walmart, that kind of idea. And I think, uh, we are in a really like awesome position because Minneapolis does like care so much. Like ever since I I moved here from Iowa to go to college and Iowa is not is not the same. I remember getting into an argument with a teacher in high school about like they just built a giant sportsplex in my hometown and it happened to be down the street from a strip club called Flirts that uh, has been there forever, literally forever. I think my mom worked there for a little while. Like and you know, there's this argument of she was like, well, I just think that they should have to move the business. And my little, like, 16-year-old self sitting in class being like, Flirts was there first. <laughs> why, like, why did they build the sportsplex right next to the strip club if they're upset about the strip club being there? And so I, ever since I've moved to Minneapolis, I feel like I've had 
you know, I, I was a student at uh, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and so I was constantly surrounded by very uh, socially like minded people, people who are very interested in social justice work. Um, and so I've always like had support from the community, and I feel like a lot of people are starting to support strippers more. I don't know, like we we literally have a, a movie coming out called Hustlers that's got, you know, real strippers in it. It's got Jack the Stripper in it, it's got Cardi B in it. You know, I think the main character is a young Asian woman, like, so it's... Comes this world, yeah. Yeah, like it, we, we are becoming more mainstream and we are like, you know, trying to put ourselves in a public in a public eye and make sure that we are heard well because it was the narrative around the super bowl was we need to save women from this job that's so terrible and the narrative you all are pushing is this job is the one of the job that i want it just needs to be better yeah right yeah and also like beyond the rhetoric of like choice if i choose to do this work or not like we all deserve better we all deserve what all people deserve to have like dignity in what we do yeah so we're almost to an hour that's a good place to be, but are there any other sort of final I was thoughts? just kind of going to say a little bit about something that I was thinking about today because it came up several times, but this kind of, and I don't know, maybe this is like uncovering a can of worms, but yeah, there is this like dichotomous thinking of like the good sex worker and the bad sex worker. Oh, and, um, and so this whole you know feminist feminist idea is wonderful right because it's saying like no sex work is real work and yeah people are entitled to these wonderful like you know to good working conditions to safe working conditions but it is kind of a, a harmful it's just like not realistic that there's people that are super happy and empowered and those are the good strippers and then there's the bad ones and then that kind of becomes its own dichotomy of like you were either forced or you're a criminal so I mean all of that is um is problematic in many ways, but I, I mean, I'm hoping that we can use this kind of like feminist thought to break all of that down and say like, no, there's a multitude of experiences in this industry and we need to give voice to all of those and make sure that it's, you know, it's not just this or that. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've always like just, I think that, um, you know, like I've, I said earlier, I've always had a great experience with my managers at DTC, but they also know that I ha I started dancing to pay for college. And then I, when I finally like, you know, said, yeah, I'm done with school. Then I, the first thing I did was say, I'm gonna make a movie and literally asked DTC, can I shoot this film here? So like they've, they see me as someone who is like, you know, bettering myself and so, you know, like a lot of people look at me and go, well, of course, you know, the manager's like you, you're, you know, privileged white girl. And, you know, my, like, I, I have been friends with people of color that I've worked with who, you know, when they, you know, they're, they're not doing like what I'm doing. They're just paying rent by working there. And they're, they're treated differently because of that, you know, because you, you either have to be like this amazing, like glamorous sugar baby type person who's like flying around the world on other men's money and like, you know, living her best life, jet setting everywhere. Or you have to be like this empowered woman who's like, you know, bettering herself and like working for what she wants. Because if you are just a girl paying your rent, then, well, 
why aren't you going to get a real job? You know, that's like the whole the whole sentiment of it. Or you're not working hard enough because you could be doing all this, you know, like, why aren't you getting some guy to pay for implants so that you make more money at the club? And I think that it's really important that people understand that everyone's valid. Like whatever you do with your money when you leave the club doesn't matter how like that should not affect how you are treated at the club ever. You know, no other job do like does your boss look down on you and say, well, sucks to be you. Maybe you shouldn't be into like drugs and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, there's just such a like if you know. It's so easy for people to just be like, oh, well, strippers do a lot of coke and they are blah, 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 this and that. And so I think it's important that we realize that, okay, maybe somebody does do coke. Why why should we treat them any differently as a human being, you know? Any final thoughts here? Um, this is Colleen. Um, I guess, like, to the point that... The girls who um, testified against the ordinance were making whether or not it was their own ideas or they were um, coerced into to saying them that like it's not really about the individuals in the situation. It's not about whether or not you have a good experience personally or whether your particular manager is nice. Like, it's a structural issue of oppression and um, that can't be solved just by, um, like on an individual basis. It has to be um, addressed from a structural perspective and policy is one way that um, that has to happen, so. This is Monica. I would just echo that, that I think the whole time I was in the hearing, um, I was thinking about um, an article I'm reading right now by the philosopher Elizabeth Anderson, where she's really picking apart the myth of, uh, you know, the free worker and the, the, the free manager and the free contract that they enter into in terms of the laborer going to work. Um, and, you know, where that myth comes from and how, of course, you know, in actuality, it's like, well, maybe they enter into that contract freely, but once that contract is signed, that laborer isn't actually free anymore. Um, and so, you know, I just kept thinking about that article and just thinking about the sense in which, you know, again, like so many of the issues, like you said earlier, so many of the issues that we're dealing with here in terms of the ordinance, in terms of strip clubs, it's just this intensified version of everything that's going on in labor in general. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that makes it really powerful um, and is part of why it's getting a lot of attention now is this is an opportunity to address multiple forms of structural oppression all at once and that, you know, and really make them visible and make it visible how all of those things are connected. I guess in, in impacting a group of women who intersect so many different type, sorts of identities that you all, as you all have talked about as well. Anything else, Sandy? Um, yeah, I guess I just want to say, like, also to contextualize what's happening um, with like how laws and legislation are affecting sex workers, like on a national and on a state level, we're being like. Uh, 
uh, more harshly punished than most of us have experienced in our lifetime. After the passing of Fosta and Sesta, uh, sex workers have been in crisis, like literal crisis since then, and it's been really difficult. And it's been such a great, like, I don't even want to say heartwarming experience to, like, work with the city council and then, like, look at how we can make things a little bit better and a little bit safer for sex workers, at least in Minneapolis, when we can't really do anything right now about what's happening to us on the national level and on the internet. And it's like uh, very cool to be in Minneapolis and have a city council like this that we can speak to about these things. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.